0: Welcome to the South Coast Christian Podcast. I'm Pastor Tom Westerfield. On behalf of myself and our entire staff, we want to thank you for listening, and we hope this message uplifts and encourages you this week. Each week I've been starting, so this is actually our final week on the series Integrity. Pray for me today, because I am taking chapter 7 in one Sunday, and there's a lot there. But uh, I just felt impressed to do so. But each week, I've been starting off with um, a quote regarding integrity. And so this week, let me read a quote found in Proverbs chapter 10, verse 9. It says, Whoever walks in integrity walks securely, but he who makes his ways crooked will be found out. Integrity is a vital part of the Christian life. If you are a follower of Christ, we need to have integrity in our life. It, one of the worst things that you can have is a follower of Christ who has no integrity. It's such a horrible testimony to the world. And, and I, it's not that we don't at times struggle with sin. So that, don't think that you have to be perfect because guess what, you're not. By the grace of God, God continues to, to give you a, opportunity and forgiveness. But in the sense of that, we're also integrous. And so we, we share our faults. Uh, we're open with when we need prayer. We're, we go to our friends and say, hey, man, I'm struggling with this. And a, a person with integrity, guess what, is an, is an open and honest person. Amen? Amen? And he's seeking after the Lord. And when the Bible says, if you walk in integrity, guess what? Your path will be righteous. I take that all day long. All day long. So, um, we're starting today in this, or not starting, but ending this series, Integrity. And I've titled the message, message today, Integrity and Devotion in Marriage and Singleness. Let's pray. I know we pray a lot at church, but is it okay that we pray because I think this is a good opportunity to do so. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the words that are found in the Bible that are uplifting and encouraging. But God, I also am very thankful for your words that are challenging, um, that move us forward. And so God, I pray today as your word is shared and as your word is preached, that We will be able to take your word and apply it to our lives. I pray for each person here today that as we leave, after hearing uh, your word, God, that we won't leave in the same condition that we arrived. But God, we will leave, Lord God, stronger and more reliant upon you than ever before. We praise you today in Jesus' name. Everyone said? As we start off today, I think it's really important that we start off with some context of the current situation of the believers in Corinth, and I know many of you already have had some of this context if you've been listening to any of the the messages, but um, we don't know that everything that was happening in Corinth, but we can determine a few things. We know that in the first part of this letter that Paul addressed to the Corinthian church, that there was division that was taking place in the church, that there was strife, that there was fighting that was taking place among some of the believers. We also know that uh, Paul received a verbal report from different people who had been in Corinth regarding that there was sin that was happening also within the church. We know Paul called the church to live in unity with one another. I spoke with that a couple weeks ago, that we should be unified as a church. But guess what? All of us struggle with pride. All of us struggle with arrogance at different times. And there's nothing worse than than all of a sudden trying to reunite or do unity when we are in disagreement. But God calls us to to forgiveness and to work together as one. Not always easy, but that's what God is calling us to do. Paul reminds the believers that as followers of Jesus, they are not their own. If you are a follower of Jesus here today, if you profess Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you are not your own. He has bought you and purchased you through his death and resurrection, through his death on the cross and through his resurrection. He has paid for you. You really are, don't take this, but you're really a slave to Christ. You're his servant because he has bought you. Otherwise, if you choose not to be his servant, guess what? It's not good <laughs> because you live separated from God. We live in unity with God. He's bought us for the price, and he's called us to glorify him. And we we learned, I think it was last week, this gl- glorifying God includes glorifying God with our bodies and not allowing sexual immorality to rule over our lives. Now, as we enter into chapter 7, let me start by saying that this chapter is not an easy chapter to interpret. It's a difficult chapter. Paul makes a lot of interesting statements in this chapter regarding marriage and singleness. And I, I've seen it many times misinterpreted. And I'm hoping to do my best job at it, at explaining this passage of Scripture so we understand it. We must keep one important thought always in mind as we interpret this passage of Scripture. I want you to catch this. We need to keep this one important thought in our minds. Paul is addressing questions that were sent to him in a letter by the church. So what's taken place is Paul has ministered to this church in Corinth. He's gone now to Ephesus. He's been away for 18 months. He's been hearing verbal reports. And now all of a sudden, they are having some struggles within the church. And they write a letter to the Apostle Paul, and they say, We are struggling in these areas and we have some questions for you. Can you answer these questions? We need to keep this in mind as we interpret this passage of Scripture. Look at the first part of verse 1 of chapter 7. We're just going to read the very, very first part because I want you to get this in your spirit. It says, Now regarding the questions you asked in your letter. So we know. As you can see, these are not unsolicited comments that the Apostle Paul is making to the church in Corinth. These were questions that were posed to Paul, and Paul is responding to their questions. If you keep that in mind, it will help you with the context and the interpretation of this chapter. Otherwise, as you start reading chapter 7, where many people just start to select few things out of chapter 7. They want to take this verse. They want to take this verse. It's really dangerous because all of a sudden it seems like Paul's intrusive. and, And in some ways it can be very confusing. You've got to take the whole chapter together. Paul was responding to the issues that were happening in the church. And they desired Paul's guidance. He's responding to questions. Now, we don't have the letter... That was written by the church to the Apostle Paul. That is gone. We don't have that in history. All we have is the response that the Apostle Paul gave to the the church regarding their letter. But there are certain things that we can conclude about those questions because we we can read Paul's reply and we can kind of understand what question was being asked. The first question in the letter was regarding abstaining from sexual relations. It seems that there was a confusion on this topic. Is all sexual relationship bad, including sexual relationship with your spouse? Should we even get married? This is what they're asking the Apostle Paul. And Paul, listen to what Paul writes, how he responds in verses 1 and 2. He says, and we're going to start in the second half of verse 1. He says, yes, it is good to abstain from sexual relations. But because there is so much immorality, each man should have his own wife and each woman should have her own husband. Paul, in the next few verses, explains how a Christian marriage should function. And we're going to pick it back up at verse 7. He says, But I wish everyone were single just as I am, yet each person has a special gift from God of one kind or another. So I say to those who aren't married and to the widows, it's better to stay unmarried just as I am. But if they can't control themselves, they should go ahead and marry. It's better to marry than to burn with lust. We have a lot of people that couldn't control themselves, so we have a church full of married people. Amen. No, just teasing. <laughs> but right, you're you reading through this like, what are you talking about for the Apostle Paul? Paul reminds by writing that it's better to be single and to abstain from sexual relationships. That's a hard one to understand. Um, but because of the widespread immorality, those who desire sexual relationship will then do so in the context of marriage. This topic is confusing because we know that God created sex. He really established the whole idea of marriage and of family. So for Paul to state it's better to remain single seems to really kind of conflict with God's plan. In Genesis 2, after Adam was created, God said it was not good for man to be alone, right? If you read it, it says it was not good for man to be alone. Do you know that this is the only time during the whole time of creation, where God responds to something as not good? Every time God created, when he created the plants, when he created the animals, everything he did, he said, oh, and that is good, and it is good, and it is good, and then he created man. Oh, it's not good, it's not good, it's not good. Adam without Eve was seen as not good. Ladies, your presence is not only valuable, but I want you to remember it is a, vi- a important part of creation. Without your creation, it was not good. Have you ever thought about that? Side note, and this is doesn't cost you anything extra. This is just some because we went into creation, we talked about God's creation, about Man being created, and without Eve, it wasn't good, and so God created Eve. I think it's why the current view on gender identity is damaging to humanity. I think it's, and this I know Pastor Tom Dewey, this is important. I view it as a direct attack on God's creative plan. Trying to remove our identity as male and female is a step towards removing the importance of God from our lives. Progressive science states it's time for a world without gender. That's what progressive science is trying to say. It's time for a world without gender. Many articles have been written to indoctrinate us. They say it's to educate us. I think it's to indoctrinate us towards a gender-free society. There's a strong push to remove gender from all of our society. We see it in our schools where teachers or students are disciplined for recognizing people by their gender. He or she are becoming forbidden words. It's a progression, in my belief, it's a progression of removing God from our society. That's what's taking place. And it's a progression towards dehumanizing us in our society, which is ungodly and it's dangerous. We need to stand on God's word. We need to establish ourselves upon God's word. We need to understand that God created from the very beginning male and female, and they are important. Just as I shared, when God created male after he was done, he said, "Mm, something's not right here. It's not good yet. And then he created female. And then all of a sudden, in that unity together, he said, oh, this is good. See, we don't want to take something that God created, something God is making righteous, and then try to say, no, no, we're, not, we're just not going to have genders anymore. I think that's a completely against God's plan. I think, people are, I think there is a move towards trying to remove God out of our lives, and it's not going to happen. Okay, that was my side note. Back to Paul's letter. It's important as we read Paul's statements that we don't assume that Paul was trying to change God's plan regarding marriage. He's not stating that everyone should remain single. Paul is responding to their questions. They ask the question, is it good for us to abstain from sexual relations? Paul says, yes, but only if you have the gift of singleness. That word gift that's found in verse 7 is a Greek word charisma, It's a gift given to us by the Holy Spirit. It refers to a gift of grace. If you have this gift of grace to abstain from sexual relationships, then do so. Paul has this gift. He said, I have this gift, and and it's it's been a blessing to him because it gives him a unique opportunity to focus completely on serving God. If you're single here today, and you need to hear this or if you're watching this online, if you're single here today and you're comfortable with being single, celebrate it. And we as a church should not put down people who are single. Like, when are you going to get married? When is it? Maybe they are absolutely happy being single. Maybe they're even more happy than you are being married. <laughs> think about that one. So many times we, think, we look down upon single. We shouldn't. We should look at singleness as a gift, especially for those who have been given this gift of grace where they they are able to take this gift and they're able to focus more on God. They're able to focus more on careers and different things that God has called them to do. And that's okay. Paul says it's okay. Now it seems like some of the believers are questioning if it's better not to have sex even if they were married. With the idea, if they abstained from sex, that somehow it would make them more spiritual, more holy. And it's important to recognize that Corinth was this hypersexual culture. Corinth was the home of the goddess Aphrodite, and the image of Aphrodite was even displayed on their currency. Kind of what we do in our in our currency, we have different presidents, uh, Abraham Lincoln, George Washington on our coins. Mm-hmm. And also important people, Benjamin Franklin, and we have these different things that rep- represent our currency and, and our history. So in Corinth, what represents their, their history is this goddess Aphrodite, who is, a, who is a god of sexual love. It's not just like an Agape love, it's a sexual love. It was based on a temple where there was prostitutes, and you could go worship the Lord with the prostitutes. It was really broken. So you can kind of understand where they're coming from. Is it better just abstain from from sex completely because of of where our culture is and where the world is? Paul brings some common sense into the situation and he, he starts to share with him here. Because the thinking was completely wrong. Paul doesn't want... The believers life to be built around sexuality that's for sure he wants their lives to be around serving god but it demonstrates but he also knows paul knows that man if they try to remove this out of their lives all they're going to do is be tempted more with sin and fall into sin so no no god created this for a purpose and for a plan so don't remove god's plan from this we got we got to understand what paul is doing It also, as I read through this, it demonstrates to us how evil tries to corrupt something that God created for good. God created sex. God created the establishment of marriage. He created it for good, and then evil tries to take it and use it for wrong. But Paul gives clear instructions that if they are married, they shouldn't deny each other their sexual needs or desires. Don't, why, don't don't think that, man, you're going to be somehow more holy if, 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 if a marriage doesn't have sex involved and in it, actually it's going to cause more issues, cause more problems. Because marriage was part of God's plan. And Paul goes on, he says, otherwise you'll be tempted to fulfill the sexual desires basically elsewhere. Then Paul gives instructions, he goes through this process and he gives instructions to those who are single. He says, get married if you... Have strong sexual passion that would otherwise cause you to sin. Get married. It's okay. Now let me give you a disclaimer. Paul is not saying that you should get married only for the purpose of having sex. Don't do that. Okay? Don't do that. Marriage must be more than sex. Marriage is where two people share their love and life together for the purpose of honoring God, for serving God together. My observation regarding marriage is that many people do life better as a team. Many people do life better as a team, as a couple or as a family. I know that for me, and that's been gone for a whole week. I do life better with a net than without a net. Can I just say that right now? Singleness for many can be difficult because they desire more intimate relationships. They desire family. And from the very beginning, God created family with that purpose in mind. That's why he said in the very beginning, hey, wait a minute. This is not complete. This is not good. But for some, they are happy being single. And Paul recognizes that because he's one of them. And we should never make a person feel guilty about being single. Singleness is a wonderful gift. The Apostle Paul was single, and he committed his life to serving the Lord. The bottom line is this: Paul is calling believers to have integrity in marriage or in singleness. Let's have integrity in both. If you're single, have integrity. If you're married, be integrous. In verses ten and eleven, Paul addresses those who are married: stay married. <laughs> don't don't stay married. Because it appears that some are considering leaving their spouse on the justification that they could serve God better as single than being, you know, carrying this old ball and chain with them along the way. You know, it'd be just easier if I just say goodbye to them now that, you know, I have come to find Jesus. But Paul tells them to remain married and serve the Lord. If they do separate or divorce, he tells them to remain single. Don't use this as an excuse to leave your spouse. I've actually seen this before where someone's been saved and someone found Christ, and they f- have felt so compelled that because of their other the husband or their wife, that, you know what, it, I need to really separate because they're dragging my spiritual life down. Well, it's not a very strong spiritual life. You know what I'm saying? Paul then addresses in verses 12 through 17, those who are married to a person who doesn't believe in Jesus, and this is what we're talking about, should they get a divorce. Think about when Paul went to Corinth to preach the good news. To our our knowledge, the good news of Jesus Christ had not ever been shared in Corinth. And so he comes and he starts to pray, starts to share about how Jesus died on the cross for your sins. How you can find forgiveness of sins. How there's a new covenant found through this man named Jesus who is the son of God. And people started getting saved. But not everybody got saved together. So there was marriages, there was husbands and wives that one was saved and one wasn't saved. My grandparents were both that way. Both my grandfathers were saved before my grandmothers were. They, got, they went into a revival tent meeting, I think it was one, and one was another storefront, and they, they got saved. They had to bring their wives to salvation because they weren't ready for that. My grandma Wells said, man, once you become a Christian, there's just nothing fun to do. That's what she said. True story. Because she loved the dance. She loved, back in those days, dancing was a sin. We made a lot of things that were sin that shouldn't have been sin, but that's a whole other story that we won't go down. So there was couples in Corinth that were attending church, and one was saved and wasn't saved, and they're wondering if, man, does this. should we just go ahead and, and leave our spouse? And Paul says, no, 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 you shouldn't do that. You shouldn't go out and get divorced, No. As followers of Jesus, we must live with integrity. If you made a commitment, then follow through with the commitment that you made to love your spouse. Paul does state that if the unbelieving spouse insists on leaving, then you should let them go. Because your first commitment is to God, and God desires that you live in peace. I want to take a moment and share a thought from verses 13 through 14 because I've been asked about these verses in the past, and I think it, there's some confusion here, and I want to just clear that up. And Paul writes these words He says, And if a believing woman has a husband who is not a believer, and he is willing to continue living with her, she must not leave him. For the believing wife brings holiness to her marriage, and the believing husband brings holiness to his marriage. Otherwise, your children would not be holy, but now they are holy. Now, if you notice, I haven't read the entire chapter 7 of 1 Corinthians. I encourage you to do so at points. I'm taking pieces of this, but a lot of it is, some of it's repeats, so I'm just taking pieces of this chapter. But notice in these two verses that Paul states that Christian spouses brings holiness to the marriage and to the family. This is where, once again, it's really important to remember the context of where Paul is writing this in chapter 7. Remember, Paul's responding to several questions that the believers there in Corinth have asked him. It's likely that the believers were concerned that their marriage to their unbelieving spouse would make them unclean before God. I have come to Christ, but my spouse is not, and, and he or she is really holding me back. And, and you don't understand, Apostle Paul, that, man, my husband comes home late at night, and he's drunk, and, and all he does so many horrible things. Should I stay married to this man? And, 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 and they're considering that, you know, the thought is, are those sins passing down upon me? Could they be counted against them? Paul challenges their thinking. Have you not considered that the righteousness you have in God can impact your spouse, could impact your children? Maybe through you, your spouse and your children will find the love of Jesus. See, we can never discount the power of God. And if you're in a relationship here where maybe your husband or your wife are not following Jesus, don't ever discount what God can do through you. Just like what God can do through you when you're at Starbucks or at the grocery store. And how, what, how more powerful can you, what your spouse can see on a daily basis as you continue to be integrous and walk righteously before God. They're seeing something different. I think one of the greatest testimonies that there is, is when, when one believer comes to the Lord in a marriage. And because of the change in that person's life, the other person says, I got to have what they have. Now that's a testimony of God's power. This is what Paul is saying. Who are you to discount the power of God? But Paul is not stating here, which some have considered this statement, this direction, but Paul's not stating here that an unbelieving person is saved because of someone else's faith. Scripture clearly teaches that each person must have their own faith in Jesus Christ. You're not, as I've shared many times, you're not going to get on the curtails of your grandfather, your grandmother, or your, or your mom or your dad. You're not going to heaven on, your, on their curtails. You've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus. In verse 16, Paul clarifies this. He says, Don't you, wives, realize that your husbands might be saved because of you? And and don't you husbands realize that your wives might be saved because of you? Because of your testimony, because of your integrity, they, they they could open up the opportunity for them to understand the love of Jesus. Don't discount the power of God's grace. Where sin increased, grace increased all the more. Integrity is trusting where God has positioned you. So many times we try to, oh, I don't feel good about this. I want to take, and we try to escape different things. We try to go here. We try to go there. And if God has placed you somewhere, stay there. Stay in that lane. Unless, I have, this is something, and this is off the subject. That's okay. Is that okay? Thank you. There has been times in my life where I am so restless. I want to do something different. I want, you know, I just try and yet I didn't have a word from the Lord. I didn't have a word for God call me or opened up another door. And in those times, one of the things that I think has been so impactful in my life, I have chosen to remain planted. Stay where I'm at. There's been times even in this church over the 10 years where I've been offered positions at bigger churches to go and, and be an executive pastor. And you know what? I prayed about it. It's like, no, I'm established here. This is where God's, I don't feel a word from the Lord. If God call, told me, that's a different story. God hasn't told me. And so I stay established where I'm at. I share that word to some of you because sometimes I think we get so restless that we keep on stepping out of sight of where God wants us. Maybe God has you right where you are. And what happens is that we get restless. We just start stepping away. And then God's Off, And we start all over again. Sometimes there's lessons that Pastor Tom has to learn right there at the spot. Okay, i got to keep going because I'm running out of time. Integrity is trusting where God has positioned you. Don't harm others in your commitment to follow Jesus. As you follow Jesus, you should not be harming others in that process. Look at what Paul writes in verse 17. He says, each of you should continue to live in whatever situation the Lord has placed you. And remain as you were when God first called you. It's important as we follow Jesus to walk in integrity. The second thought, and I'm going to wrap this up fast. I see in this passage of scripture, is devotion in marriage or singleness? Starting at verse 25, Paul addresses a question regarding if young women should get married. Paul clearly states that he doesn't have a direct word from the Lord on this. He's relying on the wisdom that God has given him. But in verse 26, Paul states, Because of the present crisis, I think it is best that you remain where you uh, remain as you are. And in that, we don't know what that present crisis is. We do know that there was a lot of persecution in Paul's day. But there was something that was taking place. And Paul considers the crisis will be greater stress to those who are married than to those who are single. If you are married, stay married. But if you're single, stay single. Because marriage brings on responsibilities, right? Marriage brings on a wife or a husband and family and kids and there's responsibility. And if if there's a lot of turmoil in the world, that just brings greater stress on you. But guess what? If you're called to be married, then that stress is going to be great on you as well if you're not married. So there's two things to look at that. Paul, in the next segment of verses, shares the urgency to remain vigilant in focusing their efforts towards serving God. Don't become distracted by the possessions or the concerns of, the, of this world. Then in, Paul states in verse 35, and this is the real heart of what Paul wants to communicate, I believe, in this chapter. I want you to catch a hold of it because this, I think, is the real thought, the heart of Paul. I'm saying this for your benefit. Not to place restrictions on you. I want you to do whatever will help you serve the Lord best with as few as distractions as possible. For Paul, singleness gives him the best opportunity to serve the Lord. But for those who need the intimacy of marriage, the bond of family, living alone does not give them the best opportunity to serve the Lord. Because their loneliness becomes a distraction for their life. Our calling as followers of Jesus is our loyalty to God. Jesus said, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. What gives you the best opportunity to follow Jesus? Whatever gives us the greatest opportunity to serve the Lord, then that's the direction that we should follow if it's, if it's according to God's word. God is calling us to be devoted to him in both marriage and singleness. And I want to close with this thought. The one common belief that I see in many people, and I, I close with this thought because I think Paul's talking about singleness. He's talking about marriage. Paul has definitely a bent. Man, if you're single, why would you want to get married? Just stay single. But that's Paul because he has this grace gift. Many of us, if you're not married, you go, I want to get married. And so that's the gift that God has given you. But I want to close with this thought. The one common belief that I see in many people who are seeking marriage is this idea that marriage will solve all their problems. I see it over and over again. There's a lot of laughter going on here. Court, now be careful, Court. <laughs> 70, how many years? 70. 70 years of marriage, right there. <clears throat> marriage will not solve all your problems, marriage will only add to your problems. I'm not saying that marriage isn't good. But people who enter marriage thinking it's a cure-all, they'll be surprised. Marriage requires work. It requires sacrifice. It requires communication. Marriage is not always easy. And this is what the Apostle Paul is saying. If you have the gift of singleness, then remain there and serve the Lord with all your heart. But can marriage be rewarding? Absolutely. Paul's words here in chapter 7 should remind us that our number one priority Always is to serve Jesus. Because the spiritual void in our lives will never be fulfilled through human resources. That spiritual void will never be f- fulfilled by a boyfriend, by a girlfriend, by a, having a child, by having a spouse. Uh-uh, it won't happen. Th- that spiritual void is only completed through your relationship with Jesus. Jesus is what will bring lasting fulfillment and lasting purpose. So today, if you're single or if you're married, which I believe covers everyone in this room, (laughs) your assignment by the Apostle Paul is to serve Jesus in all that you do. In whatever state that you're at, if you're single or if you're married, doesn't matter. Guess what? Your assignment is to serve Jesus in all that you do. Amen? Lord, we thank you for your word today. We thank you that your word does not return void. It is powerful, it is effective, and it's life-changing. Some of your word, Lord God, is, is, can be difficult. But God, we don't want to shy away from difficulty. And God, I pray for today for this word that maybe for some it's a word that will touch the hearts and their lives. Maybe they've been struggling with their singleness. I pray, God, they would understand that you have this, this grace gift for, for many. And it's okay to be single. And for some who are, who are struggling, they want to be married, God, I pray that you open that door but not, Lord God, for the wrong reasons. I pray that you'd bring that special person that you have created for them, Lord God, that you bring a special person in their life that would, Lord God, not fulfill them because fulfillment comes by you, but God, that would help them. Because when you created Adam, you created someone that would also help him. And Lord God, the two of them together were complete. So God, I pray for those who are seeking and desiring that. I just speak a blessing them. In Jesus' name, and that, God, you would open that door in a miraculous way. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing in our lives, and I thank you for what you're doing in this church. We thank you for all that you're doing. In Jesus' wonderful name, everyone said amen. Thanks for listening to the South Coast Christian Podcast. We appreciate those who give on a regular basis to South Coast because through your giving, we are able to provide these resources.